the Qa'im is fought perhaps by somebody who is appointed by God in the same way that David was fought by Saul. Mm. Uh, just like David moved from different lands, perhaps the Qa'im also in his time has to move from one land to a whole other land uh, because he was chased out by uh, the threat from somebody who was previously appointed by God but lost his soul and is now filled with an evil spirit that is uh, not letting them rest until they continuously fight against the vicegerent of God. أعوذ بالله الرحمن الرحيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد الأئمة والمهديين وسلم تسليما السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته my dear brother and companion of 25 years Joe McGowan وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته father it's a big honor for me today and I really appreciate you allowing me the time to sit with you good to see you it's good to see you father so today, Joe, we need to talk about a really important topic with everybody. And uh, that is when the topic of when vicegerents uh, wage a war against vicegerents, when messengers of God fight against messengers of God. Is that even possible? Can that happen? And what is the relate what it's what is its relationship with the current time that we're living in and with the cotton so um, we know from the stories of the prophets and the messengers that people would probably expect that the household uh, that the uh, the household of the messenger or of the vicegerent would be a wholesome perfect environment that the prophets and messengers would have had perfect families um, because because all people all parents um, you know that are religious they look towards the prophets and the messengers hoping that they can raise their children to be like them uh, they themselves take the messengers the imams uh, the prophets, the judges, the kings of the Hebrew Bible uh, as kind of the role models in which they seek to emulate, right, or imitate. But yet when we look into the Hebrew Bible and we take the magnifying glass and we zoom into the stories um, of God's chosen people and his vicegerents from the time of Adam all the way till now, uh, we find that it is quite the opposite. It is as if it was a sunnah that the prophets and the messengers had to grow up in a dysfunctional family environment. Their upbringing was not so good. In so many of the stories that we hold dear to us today. The story of mankind starts off with Adam and Eve and uh, the two sons, the two brothers, Cain and Abel. And uh, in that story, what takes place? Well, first off, you know, when you look at the Gnostic texts, and we spoke about this before in, in one of the previous episodes, when you look at the Gnostic manuscripts um, and the hadith of the Ahl-Bayt, you find in there that actually Cain is the result of in a relationship that Eve has with Satan uh, after they're kicked out of the uh, garden. Um, so uh, Adam becomes upset. He's weeping. Eve goes away to another land. It is over there that she is seduced by uh, this angel of the Lord who is actually Azazel or Iblis. And she becomes impregnated with Cain. And this is the reason why Cain is uh, evil, uh, because he is like his father. And that's why Jesus, uh, you know, tells uh, tells the Pharisees that, you know, they are like their father Cain. And Cain is like his father uh, Satan. So that's a really dysfunctional uh, 
uh, kind of environment that all of or or household that all of humanity descends from, uh, one whereby the mother uh, of all human beings uh, she has uh, a son by the devil, uh, and yet she's married to Adam, and then she ends up later having a son by Adam who is Abel, uh, who she names Abel, and Cain ends up uh, being furious uh, with. Uh, Abel and his heart is filled with anger uh, against him and envy. And uh, as everybody knows, Cain ends up slaying Abel for many reasons. Uh, the most important of them is because he feels like he should be the rightful heir and successor to his father. And he hates the fact that his father has named and God has chosen Abel as the successor, and so uh, Cain ends up murdering Abel. So there's a household that all humanity comes from, where the mother has an affair, and one of the brothers murders uh, the other brother uh, after the dad got uh, in trouble with his father and kicked out of his home, banished from his family. So it's kind of a, it's a very complex uh, dysfunctional. A dysfunctional and complex situation that uh, mankind descends from. And I think that when we focus on this uh, and we, we realize that God wouldn't have highlighted uh, these stories uh, and preserved it uh, in the Quran, in the, in the holy manuscripts, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, and also those uh, manuscripts and texts that were left out of the, the Bible. It's there for a reason. And with permission, Father, it reminds me is uh, Cain did the same thing that his father did which was having that jealousy and that hassid towards Abel like the devil had hassid towards Adam. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and so, yeah, if we take a step further back, you know, and we examine the story of Azazel and Adam, you have in the, you can, you can basically see clearly from the narrations of the Al-Bayt and also from the Quran and the Hebrew Bible that Azazel was an angel that was appointed by God and he had a very high station and he was uh, named the peacock angel by the rest of the angels that were around. Even the Hadith, they mentioned that Gabriel and Michael and the rest of the angels, they would look at Azazel and they would look up to him and they would wish um, to be like him and they would praise him and he was kind of like the chief uh, angel. And so uh, there, there you have these creatures of God, you know, Adam, the angels, uh, Iblis, and uh, Iblis is having this, this extreme envy and wanting the other one to fall. So you have a vicegerent or somebody who's appointed uh, from God in, in, in the sense of Azazel, you know, that he was in charge. He was the chief uh, angel and was in charge of all of the worlds of creation. And he's mentioned on the tongue of Jesus and other uh, prophets in the Bible as being the, and outside of the Bible as being the prince of this world. So he's clearly in charge of physical creation. And, and he has envy and he fights against God's new vicegerent, uh, and that is Adam. And so you have this Game of Thrones uh, kind of scenario that is taking place from uh, you know, from the the dawn of mankind, from the very inception of the idea to create a human being, there becomes this kind of uh, fight over the throne and um, competition, and uh, you know, envy and the will to murder uh, the other. So. Uh, you, you move along in the Hebrew Bible, and there's so many of these stories that uh, today we're going to focus on on one of them, but we're going to mention a couple of them real quick just to kind of uh, show people, you know, how much this theme is uh, reoccurring. Uh, you have the story of uh, of uh, Jacob and Esau. Mm. Yeah, here's Jacob. He's the son of Isaac. Esau is also a son of. Isaac, according to the Hebrew Bible, it was uh, Isaac's wish and will to appoint Esau as his vicegerent. Uh, and yet um, Jacob kind of uh, pulls a heist and, and uh, uh, through means of his mother, Rebekah, they sought to deceive Isaac and they steal 
the blessing away from Esau, and Esau's angry. But in the very end, it was actually God's will that this happened because he's the one who chose Jacob, and he knew that Esau was, was, was no good. A lot of controversy surrounding that one. Yeah, and then it ends up in a, in a, in a very uh, you know, long war between Esau and Jacob, and there's a lot of bad blood there. And it's a very interesting story, which we can go into detail, uh, you know, on another day. But uh, then you have you. But but the thing that's 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 common uh, between them is that is that you know Esau was not appointed by God, mm. and you also have uh, Cain, who is not appointed by God. But they're part of the same household, and they're fighting against one another. Today's episode, we want to lead up to, so we're highlighting the fact that there's dysfunctional families and that there's siblings that are fighting against one another. But what we want to focus on today is is whether or not there are two siblings or two people who are appointed by God simultaneously that end up fighting against one another. And uh, so you have that. You have you have uh, in 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 the story of of Jacob and his children uh, after that you have bad blood between those brothers you know so it's like every generation uh, that's taking place there's infighting uh, that's occurring between uh, family members uh, and that's not even to mention the fact that Abraham's father uh, threw him into uh, the fire by riding him out to um, to Nimrod. He's the one who, uh, you know, Abraham was kind of, he was the one of the arch nemesis of uh, and the great enemies of Abraham. In some narrations, it was his uncle. In other narrations, it was his father. Uh, but he was a staunch disbeliever and an advisor to uh, Nimrod, who uh, you know, fought against Abraham. Most people say Nimrod threw Abraham in the fire, but they forget to mention that actually it was one of his, his father. His uncle, yeah, right? exactly. He was the one that was uh, was against him and advised, uh, you know, and turned against Abraham and betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, you have the story of of Jacob uh, and his children, and you know, Jacob appoints his, you know. Not his youngest, but his uh, next to last son, which was Joseph, um, as his vice chair. And all of the other older children, uh, they feel that they have more of a right to um, be chosen for the blessing or be chosen and favored uh, by their God and to be the, the heirs of of Jacob and to receive the gifts of prophecy and, and uh, what not. Uh, but God chooses uh, Joseph, and he reveals that to Joseph in his dreams. Joseph informs uh, his siblings about several of the dreams that he has, and this causes them to be filled with envy and rage against Joseph. And they attempt to uh, kill him at first by throwing him, you know, by by basically slaughtering him is what they wanted to do. Um, they beat him down. They ended up throwing him in a well and then selling him off to, um, you know, some passerbys, some some Arabs that were passing through that end up taking him to uh, Egypt, where, uh, you know, he lives there for a very long time and he's separated from his father. Uh, you know, according to the narrations, uh, you know, some narrations state it was like 80 years uh, that there was a separation that took place between Jacob and Joseph. And so uh, a horrible, uh, horrible uh, kind of uh, family environment uh, that they were all raised in. Even the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa he uh, had a, a lot of tensions with his family members. Uh, one of his uncles, Abu Lahab, mm-hmm. ends up being one of the greatest enemies of, of Islam and enemies of the Prophet, fights against him. Uh, in a vicious war, uh, you and and a whole surah came down about uh, Abu Lahab basically uh, damning him and cursing him. Uh, you have even uh, a brother of uh, the eleventh Imam, a son of the tenth Imam. He claimed uh, to be the real Imam instead of Al Hasan Al Askari, the father of Imam Mahdi, 
and he uh, got the nickname Jaffer the Liar. Mm. And uh, Jaffer the Liar uh, fought against uh, Al Hassan Askari in a vicious uh, war as well. And uh, he contributed to a lot of the oppression that took place in the uh, lifetime of uh, Imam Al Hassan Askari. Uh, you have uh, many stories. You have Solomon, um, who's uh, fighting against uh, his brother, and he ends up uh, having to kill him, and it's all over the the throne. Uh, but in that case, like I said, um, you know whether it's Jaffa the liar, he was not actually appointed by God. Solomon, he was the rightful heir. He's fighting against a a fake usurper. Um, you have uh, in the other cases as well. Jacob's the rightful heir. Um, you know, Joseph's the rightful heir. The other brothers were never appointed. Um, you know, so you only, you, you, you do have three instances, though, that are very clear. Three stories where both parties uh, were appointed. And the story of Azazel and, uh, and Adam. Azazel was appointed uh, by God and he was in charge of creation. And then he was... He was commanded to prostrate, you know, and uh, to Adam to relinquish, uh, you know, his office as commander in chief, and to allow Adam uh, to ascend the throne. And it was uh, there where uh, Iblis refused to, you know, uh, pledge allegiance and and uh, and to prostrate or obey uh, the new commander in chief or to recognize him. Uh, so in that case, both of them were appointed by God, and then one party ends up uh, fighting against uh, against the other. You have in the story of Moses, Moses is appointed by God, and he is a prophet sent forward to the Israelites. And you have uh, Balaam ibn Ba'ura, or Balaam son of Beor, who is also a prophet for the non-Israelites, who was sent, um, and uh, he was at the same level uh, for the non-Israelites as Moses was for the Israelites. And uh, he ends up being filled with envy uh, towards Moses. And uh, he ends up actually going out to uh, to fight Moses. And for that, uh, he uh, he ends up, you know, being cursed by God and, and uh, ending in, in hellfire and becoming one of those uh, famous characters that was that was mentioned in the Quran as having all of that knowledge that was given to them stripped away. And then you have the story which we want to focus on today because it has a lot of detail to it. And from it we can analyze um, analyze a lot of things and extract a lot of important lessons. And that is the story of David and Saul. We choose this story uh, rather than Moses and Balaam and rather than Iblis and Adam to focus on, uh, not just because it is in, it has a lot of details to it, but because of the fact that in the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, there are distinct comparisons that are drawn and mentioned over and over again in the narrations between the Qa'im and the rule of the Qa'im and between David and the house of David and the rule of David. And uh, so you have these narrations that mention that there is a sunnah of a particular prophet that you'll see in the Qa'im or in the Mahdi. But there are two prophets especially that the comparison between them and the Qa'im is really emphasized. One of them is Joseph, and the other one is David. In regards to Joseph, the narrations state that the people would, and I'm just giving you the summary of the narration. It says that uh, basically uh, the the brothers of Joseph and, and, and the people that were living in the time of Joseph, they didn't recognize him, you know. And uh, the brothers of Joseph, they tried to kill him and uh, they sold him uh, for cheap and they betrayed him and they had envy against him. And they were the children of a prophet and they were the tribe, the pillars of Israel. 
And so the narration says, and then, and so what about the pigs, the swine, and the and the musukh um, of the of the nation of Muhammad? Is it not far? Uh, is it so far stretched of an idea to think that they too, um, you know, would do the same to the Hujja in their time, meaning they're caught from the family of Muhammad, that they they as well wouldn't recognize him, or that they would. Uh, or that the Qa'im would suffer in his time also the betrayal from uh, his brothers of Joseph in that time, uh, or from the, the the Pharisees and the scholars uh, of that time, or, the, or and that the nation of Muhammad would not recognize who he is in the same fashion that the people didn't recognize who Joseph was. His own brothers didn't even recognize him when they went to Egypt until Joseph identifies himself and says, I am Joseph. The Ahl Bayt are saying, what happened with Joseph and his family? What happened with Joseph and his brothers? And what happened with Joseph and society, the Israelites, would happen also uh, in the end time with the Qa'im. The Qa'im would suffer from his brothers. The Qa'im would suffer also uh, and would be unrecognized by the people until he's the one who comes out and says, I'm the cotton and identifies himself in the same way that uh, Joseph identified himself. And there's even narrations from the Ahl Bayt that says, no, by Allah, this matter will not be until he's the one who comes out, identifies himself and calls you to him. All right. So this notion that the Mahdi doesn't know he's the Mahdi, this is a, a false mm. notion. It's not true. It's contradictory even to the apparent of the hadith of the Ahl Bayt It's a conclusion, as we mentioned before, that the scholars just, uh, you know, make uh, from their own ishtihad or their own uh, shortcoming comprehension, you know, or understanding of certain narrations where the Mahdi is trying to avoid the Pledge of Allegiance. But in actuality, just because he's trying to avoid the Pledge of Allegiance at that time does not mean that he doesn't know who he is. Uh, but rather, the narrations state that he does know who he is, and he's the one who identifies himself, openly calling the people to the fact that they have an obligation to pledge allegiance to him uh, as the Qa'im. Yeah, scholars wish that the Mehdi didn't know who he was, and they wish that the people wouldn't recognize him. I mean, it's clear. I mean, when you look in the narrations, that they're the enemies, and they don't want Imam Mehdi. Well, it's it's just this this thing that they say that the Mehdi doesn't know he's the Mehdi. It's just their way of being able to falsify immediately the claim of anybody who says that he is the Mahdi. Mm. So they make it impossible that one day a Mahdi come forward and, and, and wakes up the nation and identifies himself by telling them that he is the Mahdi. God sent me as the Mahdi. Just like Rasulullah mm. came out and said, I am Rasulullah. Mm. I mean, how else would the people know that he's the messenger of Allah? They're supposed to just guess that he's receiving uh, revelations from God? Of course not. Mm -hmm. And the Mahdi has the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad. And so the Mahdi would call the people uh, to himself. The Qa'im would call the people to himself in the same way that Rasulullah called the people mm -hmm. to himself. And then the other comparison besides Joseph uh, that was made uh, over and over again is with David. And they say that the rule of the Qa'im is just like the rule of David, that he rules by the rule of David. Well, if we look at the story of David and the rule of David, we'll find out that uh, the first part of his rule, um, the first half of his rule, he's extremely oppressed, actually. And he's being chased and he's hiding. Uh, and who is he being chased by and who is he hiding from? He's hiding by the Hujjah who was appointed before him. And this is an extremely disturbing, sad story uh, that we have to go over that most of the Muslims are unaware of. Most mm. of the Muslims, what they know about David is that he was a, a prophet messenger and that he was a king and a great king and one of the best and one of those that was mentioned by name uh, in the Quran. Okay, so the story of David goes as such. Basically, um, you had you had the Israelites. They were following the prophet Samuel, 
Samuel, they thought he was going to appoint a successor as a successor to him, uh, his sons. His sons were not really righteous, um, and uh, the Israelites didn't want them. As Samuel was getting older. So they go to Samuel, they say, appoint for us a king like the rest of the nations. We want a king, you know, somebody that we can be proud of, not like these two sons of yours, you know. And uh, basically, Samuel uh, was uh, very hurt and he was very sad and he went back to God and God was, was angry and hurt and sad as well. Why? Because it's not permissible for people to suggest to God a system of rule. God, before that time period of the Israelites, wasn't appointing kings. He was only sending prophets that they would listen to, and it was obligatory for them to obey, but he didn't have like kings over them. Uh, So this suggestion uh, was a sin. It was an abomination uh, that God promises that the Israelites are going to uh, regret and suffer as a result of. And nonetheless, though, God, because they still came to him, unlike today where the people, they try to hold on to systems of governance or make up systems of governance that are, uh, you know, have nothing to do with God and that are not based on on obeying somebody who he appoints. Uh, But they don't even ask God to appoint somebody in their system. They, they, They choose their own people. But here in the story of Saul, the Israelites, they ask Samuel to ask God to appoint, and that's exactly what happens. God ends up appointing for them a king by the name of Saul. He was a good-looking man, and he had a very uh, you know, strong physique to him, and uh, he was uh, pleasant to look at. He demanded and commanded respect, and, and the people were happy uh, with this choice uh, as king. And uh, and uh, uh, Samuel uh, kind of retreated from the scene, and Saul did whatever it was that God placed in his heart. But every now and then, Samuel would come back to Saul with a command from God. And he did so on one occasion where he tells Saul, basically, God tells Samuel to tell Saul that he has to wage war against the Amalekites. And that when he does so, he has to wipe out uh, their entire city. He can't take anybody prisoner. He has to destroy everybody, destroy all of the animals, and he has to kill the king. These were specific instructions that Saul had to obey. Saul goes out uh, to war. He uh, fights against them, but... Um, after he defeats the armies of the Amalekites, he looks around and he finds that there are all these animals that, um, you know, are quite, uh, quite fat, quite healthy. They look really good. Um, and he doesn't really want to, you know, throw them to waste. He doesn't see the logic behind it. He's now depending on his own insight and he thinks that he knows better than Samuel and he knows better than God. And he also does not kill the king of the Amalekites that he was instructed uh, to kill. And so he takes him as a prisoner as well as all of the animals. What does he do, Joe? Hmm. He brings them back and uh, God informs Samuel that, 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 this is, that Saul basically didn't obey me. And God tells Samuel that he regretted ever appointing Saul as a king. And he tells Samuel that pretty much now Saul has an X on him. God doesn't want him. God is not going to um, be with him anymore. And uh, that God is going to strip away the kingship uh, from him that that he had promised would would or was planning on giving to his household. So after him, this, the the son of Saul would have uh, succeeded, but not anymore. Uh, God said he's going to find somebody else who's better, who's going to obey the command of the Lord. Samuel spends all night crying about it. He's uh, he's very upset and he's angry uh, at Saul and uh, for for disobeying God. And eventually, they meet one another. Uh, Samuel tells Saul. You know, you're, you're, you've disobeyed God and now you're going to suffer. God's going to rip it, the kingship away from you. It's done, all of these things. And uh, 
Saul uh, hears it, uh, but he tells Samuel, well, at least like in front of the people, like, come stand by me. You know, don't embarrass me and shame me in front of the elders and all of this. And then it says that the the that God informs then Samuel to to move on his way after that. And so now there's something that's happening behind the scenes. What's happening behind the scenes that the rest of the population don't know is that Saul disobeyed God. Mm. See, the normal Israelites they don't know that. But behind the scenes, uh, you know, God, Samuel, Saul. They do know that God is not good with Saul anymore, and God has has decided to replace Saul. Mm. But they don't know that the Israelites don't know that all of this is taking place uh, behind the scenes. And so, as such, uh, you know, all of these things could could also take place in the time of any other prophet or messenger. Now the story progresses. God tells Samuel to go forward uh, to this household. It's the house of a man called Jesse. He says, over there you're going to find the one that I want. And Jesse brings out his sons. And every time he'd bring out a son, like Samuel would look at him. He'd say, wow, he's, he's strong. He's handsome. All these things like this must be the one. God says no. Until he brings out just the little one, David. David comes out, Samuel is told by God that this is the one, and God tells Samuel to anoint him. And so he anoints him. And the moment that a person is anointed, it means that they are made king, that they are appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so David at that moment is appointed. His taklif starts. His duty and his mission starts. He is, from that very moment now, a vicegerent of God, a king who people must obey that is divinely appointed by him. Samuel, before anointing David, was nervous. When God told him to go forward and to anoint the replacement for Saul, the first thing that Samuel said to God was, you know, Saul's going to kill me. And so we also see from this story that the vicegerents themselves were able to fall. And this is highlighted very clearly. And that they, 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 although they're enforced by the Spirit of the Lord, they still have a human aspect and a self that they might be struggling with. Mm-hmm. Especially in the phase of the incomplete prophets and messengers that came before uh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But even it could happen afterwards. And so... And so God tells him, reassures him, no, just listen to me, go do so. And Samuel does. Now David's appointed. Well, what takes place after that? David ends up somehow being chosen independent of Samuel because the Saul doesn't even know that this has taken place. David ends up being recommended to be a person who can play music for Saul in order to comfort him. Because the Bible says that at the moment that David was anointed, the spirit of the Lord left Saul and it went to David. And that an evil spirit replaced the spirit of the Lord that used to be in Saul and was basically attacking Saul, driving him mad, um, tormenting him, torturing him, is what the Bible says uh, was happening, but it doesn't go into the details of exactly how um, that spirit was tormenting him, but the implication seems to be that it was constantly making him paranoid, making Mm -hmm. him nervous, not not allowing him to be uh, in a state of rest or sakina or, or, uh, you know, at peace. 
And so every time Saul would be would be tormented, when David would play the music, uh, it would calm him down. That spirit would stop tormenting him for the time that David was playing uh, the music for him. And Saul came to like David, and he really loved him uh, like a son. Until something happens. Until the Philistines went to fight against the Israelites. And when they went out with their army, uh, there was this gigantic, uh, you know, monster of a man whose name was Goliath, who stepped forward from the armies of the Philistines and he yells out to the Israelites, he says, you know, why fight army against army? Let's just do this man to man. You know, here I am, I'm standing. Let any of you guys come forward and fight against me. If any man of yours can beat me, then we're all going to submit uh, you know, to the Israelites. And if any of, um, you know, but if I beat any of you, then you guys have to submit to us. It will be considered that we're the ones that, that won. And so it was a great challenge. And the Israelites were extremely scared. and No man went forward. And so it struck a lot of doubt into the hearts of the Israelites. Because if they had God with them, well, then surely why is there not a single man that was brave enough to come forward? Mm. But when they looked over at Goliath, I mean, his muscles, his height, uh, his armor, uh, his sword, his skill, he was terrifying. And finally, David had enough of it. And David went forward and he said, I'm not going to allow this um, animal to insult uh, Israel and the God of Israel anymore. And he volunteers to be the one who goes out in the battle against him. Word reaches Saul. Saul uh, tells David, are you sure? And David says, yes, absolutely. He tries to place his vest on him and his clothing on him uh, in order that he goes out and fights with Saul's sword and as a representative of him, but it's not fitting right. And David ends up saying, I can't fight like this. So he leaves it and he just takes with him uh, his slingshot and he takes with him some stones. And he walks out and he throws the stone, uh, he shoots it and it lands into Goliath's forehead and it causes him to die and the Quran says it wasn't David that was throwing but rather it was God that mm. threw uh, at that very moment and so when David defeated Goliath it gave such power and strength and encouragement to all of the Israelites and they went forward and they slaughtered uh, the Philistine army and they were victorious and because of that, the people began to praise David so much and sing his songs in the streets, you know. And one of the, the lines of the songs was, Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. Mm. So they kept saying it. Saul killed thousands, but David killed tens of thousands. And this, these two lines drove Saul so extremely angry. Uh, he was uh, he was in a state of rage. He couldn't take it. He said, "Well, surely this is the one that is you know going to probably try to succeed me. Then after that, this guy, if they're singing this, then he's riled up the support of the Israelites. He's going to be the one that they're going to want as a king instead of me. He's he's they're, they're they like him more than than me. They forgot about all my victories and now." Uh, they, they have a new hero. And from that moment, he took David as an enemy. So now you have what? Now you have a scene that's taking place. The Israelites don't know that 
David is appointed. Only very few do. Jesse knows, the father of David, his household, some of the others. The Israelites, they know that Saul's still in power. God has withdrawn his support from Saul, and his spirit is now enforcing David, but it's not made a public matter. And Samuel doesn't inform the Israelites that Saul has disobeyed. Why? Because he knows that if he does that, Saul is going to kill him, and there's going to be a very big fitna, and it will end up being a war where there are people that are behind Saul, and there's people that are rebelling against Saul. And so for the greater good um, of the of the Israelites, God keeps that as a secret and decides to eventually replace Saul with David, but in his own way, not by public humiliation or by exposing him, because if he does so, then the the enemies might take advantage of this inner uh, war that's taking place in Israel, and uh, they'll all be destroyed. And so for that reason, just in the same way that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib had to remain silent uh, during the rule of Abu Bakr and Omar and Uthman for the greater, go- uh, the greater good of the Muslim Ummah, and so that the enemies don't take advantage of it and that the Muslim nation doesn't end up fighting against uh, one another. David also had to be like Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and he had to withdraw and be silent and keep that secret to himself, knowing that the former vicegerent that came before him and the one who's ruling the people right now is actually has failed, and he's no longer appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he's actually an enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but David had to continue to pretend that he was a hujjah when he was no longer a hujjah. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of strength and courage and God awareness to do that for so long, to work in that kind of that covertly for God, to make sure that you protect God's matter and you know, his Absolutely. Yeah. And and so uh, basically the story, it's, it's very long. I mean, we could sit here for hours talking about uh, every uh, detail of it. But uh, to make a long story short, and just to highlight the important parts, Saul continues uh, to oppress David. And, 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 and he attempts to get David killed. He wants to get rid of him. Uh, he eventually tries to kill him directly in the beginning. What he tries to do is set up traps whereby David could get killed, uh, you know, at the hands of other people, so that his his hands are clean uh, of the sin. In much of the way that the Jews got the Romans to execute uh, Jesus, uh, but they themselves say we didn't do it directly. So we're they're the instigators, uh, but they uh, claim that their hands are. Uh, clean of the blood, uh, in the same way Saul says to David, uh, David, I will get you married to my daughter. You know, and anybody who gets married to the daughter of of the king, you know, is uh, is a possible successor to the king, right? You know, or he's at least in the in the line of successors. And uh, and Saul tells him, if you you know, I'll, I'll get you married. Uh, to one of my daughters, but you have to go forward and bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins. And it was almost like a mission impossible. He knew that in order to get a hundred Philistine foreskins, he'd have to battle thousands of of Philistine men. And, and, And in order to be able to kill 100 of them and to actually mutilate uh, their private parts and to bring forward what was uh, requested of him. And nonetheless, David goes forward and he has success and the Lord is with him. 
and and he comes back and he has 200 Philistine foreskins and uh, Saul admits and says to him you know and says to himself that obviously the the Lord is with him he was able to do this for sure this guy is taking over for sure God is with him for sure God's not with me now yeah and every time he got a confirmation that this guy really was appointed by God and that this is going to be the one who replaces him uh, and who's actually replaced him now uh, it drives him insane mm. Uh, and it and it and it makes him more envious of of David, and so he gets him married to one of his daughters, and uh, David also becomes best friends with Saul's son Jonathan, who is a really good believer and who recognizes uh, that David is the rightful successor. And Jonathan makes a pact with David uh, that he's going to support him, and and tells him like, "You are the rightful king and the rightful heir." And uh, I will always be number two to you. And they have this very like uh, special friendship and bond that, uh, you know, uh, lives through time and space. And so uh, after that, uh, Saul decides that he is going to uh, have his son actually uh, kill David. And when this plot comes to light, uh, the daughter of uh, David, uh, the daughter of Saul, and the wife of David, and the uh, the best friend of David, Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, they all warn uh, David, and David uh, ends up escaping from the window and running away. And uh, the nastiness of Saul towards David uh, continues. Uh, he violates the sanctity uh, of David by taking David's wife away from him and marrying her off uh, with, with them still being married, he marries her off to another man and forces her uh, to be with him. And uh, can you imagine that? Mm. And, 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 he, and then he takes his army and he begins to go forward to hunt down David. Now, David only has a couple hundred um, faithful companions that he is uh, with now. And uh, they are the true people of God, and they are the ones whom are oppressed in the land. And for a very long time, him and these hundreds of uh, followers of his, that at one point they become like 600 uh, in number, it's like a small army, uh, they're being chased uh, over and over again uh, by Saul. And uh, at one point, uh, Saul and uh, David ends up creeping up on Saul uh, in a cave, and he cuts part of his garment. And uh, you know, David then bows to Saul, and he prostrates to Saul and say, and says, "Look, I still recognize that you're the king. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this to show you that you know I'm, I'm still am obedient to you, even though you know that you are out here." Uh, to kill me and without any sin, you know. So why don't you stop doing what it is that you're doing? He said, even if you're trying, I could have killed you, but in the same way that Abel told Cain, you can lift a hand against me, but I will not lift a hand against you. I am still not going to lift my hand or my sword against you, Saul, even though I could have killed you because you were somebody who was anointed by God. And once anointed by God, it is only God who can remove from power, you know? And so I leave your judgment with God and I'm not going to physically uh, spill the blood of the first anointed king yeah. of Israel. Saul weeps and he says, yes, you're a good son and thank you so much for this. And this is just proof that you're really good and you're gonna end up uh, doing great things. and. And uh, he retreats. But every time he retreats, the, the evil spirit that's with Saul just uh, fills him up with rage. And so at, at another scene, he's sitting at home and he's like throwing his spear at the wall, thinking about like how he can kill David. And then he ends up taking the army out against again to look for David. And each time he looks for David, David and his hundreds of companions, they're, they're fleeing. They're hiding in the fields. They're hiding in the caves. They're, they're running away 
seeking to avoid the 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 death, the murder plot that's being plotted by the appointed vicegerent of God, the one man that David should have been able to take refuge in and look look towards for guidance was now seeking to uh, kill him and oppress him and murder him. In reality, uh, there's no contradiction because the spirit of the Lord already left Saul, you know, but it was, uh, and now it's with David, uh, but the people didn't know that. And so, except for those hundreds of souls that were, uh, those 600 people that were with uh, David and and enforcing uh, him. And then David, in the end, he has to leave all of Israel to get, to get away from uh, Saul's uh, evil. And he ends up uh, taking refuge actually with the uh, Philistines and, and living uh, amongst them. And it is them that end up giving David and his companions a land uh, to live in. And uh, one day when they go to fight against the Israelites, uh, uh, you know, it's David and his companions who are willing to fight with uh, the Philistine kings and and uh, uh, against them, but they didn't want David and them to uh, fight, and so they told them to stay back. And eventually, uh, Saul meets his end, and he suicides, and basically falls on his his own sword um, after he spent, um, you know many, many years trying to kill um, the vicegerent of uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when we look at this story, we find that that the, the rule of David starts off the moment that he was anointed. And he was anointed and God was with him as he fought Goliath. And he was anointed and God was with him uh, as he was playing the musical instrument in the house of Saul, he was anointed and God was with him. When he was uh, married to the daughter of Saul, he was anointed and God was with him. And he was the only uh, anointed vicegerent at that time, the, well, the one that had the spirit of the Lord with him. Um, as he was trying to escape and his wife being taken away from him and he's fleeing from one field to another and hiding in caves and then taking refuge and serving the Philistine king who was uh, not even appointed uh, by God. He was forced to do all these things um, and live the first part of his rule in that way because um, of another vicegerent who was fighting against him and for the better good of the nation. And so in the same way, it says the cotton will rule by the rule of David. And the rule of David, it can, if, if we're going to, to draw that comparison between the cotton and between David, then it must mean that the Qa'im, like David, like the Prince of the Believers, salam, in the beginning, he's oppressed. And the brothers of Joseph have envy against the Qa'im. The brothers of the Qa'im have envy against him, just like the brothers of Joseph have envy against him. And the Qa'im is fought perhaps by somebody who was appointed by God, or perhaps by multiple people who were appointed by God, in the same way that David was fought by Saul. Mm. And the Qa'im is oppressed, and he moves from the lands where he was at, and goes to different lands, uh, just like David moved from different lands that he was at and took refuge with the Philistine kings, perhaps the Qa'im also in his time has to move from one land to a whole nother land mm -hmm. and take refuge or live underneath the governance of a government of a, of a king that was not appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, because he was chased out by uh, the threat from somebody who was previously 
appointed by God, but lost his soul and is now filled with an evil spirit that is uh, not letting them rest mm. until they continuously fight against the vicegerent of God. And it reminds me, with permission, it reminds me of the prophecies of the Ahad where they say the, the Qa'an and his companions, they move often, they travel a lot, and that's one thing that we've seen over the years, you know. It's a testimony I'm proud to say, you know, 25 years, you know, the last 12, 15 years of this Dawah, you have moved from place to place with your companions uh, because of these factors, because of these reasons. And, you know, to us, as we're on that journey with you, it might seem like it's just a natural chain of reaction that we must do. But when you step out of it, out of time, and you look at these Hadiths and these prophecies, you see that it's a fulfillment of all of these different things. Yes, it is. And you guys have been... Um, the best of companions um, and have been with me and have been better companions to me than uh, the companions of David who were with him uh, on his path. So God bless you and and uh, and all the brothers and the sisters that are that are here with me and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to enforce all of you and and keep you guys uh, with me on this path till the very end. And I'm sure inshallah that of that. And so the lesson that we get from this is that the rule of the Qa'im will start before he actually has a physical rule, before he actually has a physical kingdom, before he actually ascends the throne in the same way that the rule of David started, uh, the rule of the house of David started before he even ascended to the throne of Israel. In fact, in the beginning, he was friends with and serving and, uh, and prostrating and bowing to people that were appointed by God that he knew were no longer appointed by God, but for the sake of the better good, he had to uh, continue to um, to not let that secret uh, out of the box until it became apparent to the people and to everybody around that Saul was trying to kill David in the same way that also uh, has become apparent and will continue to become apparent. And and the warning that we get off of this is that is that once. It becomes clear to the people who the rightful king is of Israel in the case of David. Those who held on to David, no matter what, were upon the right path. Uh, even if in the apparent there was somebody else, once it became clear that the successor, the anointed king, was David, they had to disregard all those who came before David and forget about them and hold on to David um, because the one who comes after and uh, you know the one who comes after and the one who is mentioned uh, at last which was David um, you know was the one that God wanted to be in power in the same way over here the Qa'im he could be fought by his brothers he could be fought by uh, people that are in high positions of authority or power or have prominent roles uh, in the da'wah uh, or that people think are appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have stature or knowledge, but in reality uh, they have fallen and lost their rank. And uh, there's even a narration from the Ahl Bayt that says that the Qa'im is uh, with his companions and there is a man at the head of the Qa'im uh, so he's perceived to be somebody who's um, you know a boss of the Qa'im and he is commanding and forbidding ahead of the Qa'im so he's giving people orders in the army of the Qa'im who would do that unless it was like a Saul David type scenario mm. Who would do that? A normal member of the army of David would never be perceived to be at the head of David and to be commanding and forbidding. Makes sense. So in the time of the Qa'im, there's somebody who's like that. And the Qa'im at one point 
tells the people to turn him around, and they turn him around, and he kills him. So the difference in the time of the Qa'am and between the time of David and Saul is that eventually, instead of Saul taking his own life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to take the life of that Saul-like figure um, at the hands of the Qa'am. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what the meaning of uh, killing him means, whether it's uh, exposing his character or bringing it to light or uh, you know whatever it means, or physically killing, this is something that's debatable uh, that we can talk about when we explain the meanings of the uh, tradition in full detail. But uh, the point is, is that this incident takes place where there's somebody in the time of the Qa'im who's oppressing the Qa'im, who's giving orders, commanding and forbidding. And uh, it is the same thing that had happened uh, with David and with Saul, where David had to bite his tongue while somebody who was perceived to be at the head of David, which was Saul, um, was commanding and forbidding. And uh, at the same time, behind the scenes, he's leading this vicious war against um, David. And and the same thing would be happening here. There are people that are around the Qa'im or have been around the Qa'im that cannot stand him, that seek to kill him, uh, that are fighting against him, that wish to sell him out uh, to the enemies and to other people, just like they did with uh, Joseph and just like they did uh, with David. There's two things that I want to mention, Father, permission. Uh, one, you know, the hadith that comes to my mind all the time is no matter what they do, they're only paving the way for uh, the cotton. And we've seen that all the enemies that have attacked you, all the things that have happened over the years, it's only increased the dawah and furthered the dawah and expanded the dawah. And, you know, for that, I'm thankful. And, you know, in terms of what you said, it's a big blessing for us in terms of the companions, because you know, the companions of all the righteous prophets and messengers, they were following the Spirit of God. You know, they, they had very little proofs. They, they were following what God was guiding them inside of their souls. And we've been doing that with you now for over a decade. And But for me, there's no clearer matter than yours with the will and all the proofs and all of the prophecies that are surrounding you. Our matter is much easier in this time. It's much more easier for the people to understand who you are, and the matter is more clear than it's ever been. So for me, you know, anyone who attacks this dawah is a clear enemy of God. And no matter what they do uh, to this dawah, it's only going to make it bigger in the future. And Absolutely, and people need to hold on to uh, the David of the time. Mm-hmm. Because see, David had a promise, Joe. David had a promise from God um, that God would never leave him, nor would he leave his family, no matter what. But Saul didn't have that promise. And God did leave Saul and did leave and strip it away from his family. In the same way, the narrations of the Ahl-Bayt are clear that uh, the Qa'im of the family of Muhammad is the one person who is not replaceable. God gives him a promise and God has given him a promise that he will never leave him and he will never abandon him. Even if the entire world abandons him, the narration state, God would never abandon him and would bring forward people to replace those people that abandon him and and be better companions for him. The companion of the matter, the Qa'im, his companions are preserved for him. And so he himself has a promise and he himself before his companions is never replaced and the Spirit of the Lord is forever with him and his household. Mm. And so uh, this is the, the, the message that we wanted to deliver today and, and highlight because uh, people so often, it would have been very easy. And that's why God didn't allow it to come out in the time of David that they, or expose Saul for his sins and his envy and his hatred and his disbelief. Um, and his love for power and authority. Because if he had let it out in that time, the people would have been confused and they would have disregarded and and uh, perhaps religion altogether. Uh, and they might have abandoned David and Saul, you know, or fought against uh, one party 
uh, with the support of the other party, people wouldn't have known what to do because it was uh, one of those uh, stories that uh, had had yet to happen. Um, that was happening for the very first time. The Israelites never encountered something like this before. But now that it is in history, that it has happened before, people don't have an excuse. They have to contemplate over these stories, extract the possible uh, meanings and events that could take place in, in this day and age. We learn from the stories of those who came before in order that we don't fall into that same mistake and, and in order also that we anticipate. And so when the cotton comes forward and we hear that his, his family has abandoned him or we hear that his brothers have attacked him or we hear that there's people that were vicegerents that were no longer vicegerents so that are trying to uh, belie him, then we need no. We need to look no further than the, the the past and the Hebrew Bible, and we see that what is happening to him is it must happen to him, and it's natural that it happens to him. For it's happened uh, with Iblis and Adam before him, and it's happened with 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 uh, with Abel from Cain, and it's happened in the story of Joseph and his companions. Rather, Muhammad and the family of Muhammad said that it would happen the exact same thing. And that his rule would be just like the, David, the, the rule of David, and his story would be like the story of Saul and David. And at the end of the day, what we must do is just hold on tight to Abel, hold on tight to, to Joseph, hold on tight to uh, Jacob, hold on tight to Abraham, hold on tight to David, and hold on tight to Yusuf of the family of Muhammad, and that is the, uh, the Qa'im. Uh, that's mentioned in the will of Rasulullah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me, Joe. Thank you, Father. It's a very important message, and I pray that uh, that you intercede for us, that we always be a strong support for you and a protection these times from all your enemies and all that they try to do. God bless you. Yeah. Salam alaikum.